We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. It's the True Faith Newcastle United podcast. Newcastle have drawn nil-nil with Crystal Palace at St. James's Park. How did it happen? We don't know. We should have won the game, but we didn't. And it's only one win in six, but then it's only one defeat in six. And let's walk out the context of that, how we managed not to win and maybe what we need to do better. Moving forward, whether that includes some very, very good footballers coming back into the team or not, we'll, we'll discuss that as well. I've got myself, Alex. I've got Norman. I've got making his True Faith Free podcast debut, Alex. The start, though, I think that's how you like to be introduced, mate, but you can correct me if I'm wrong in a second. I've also got Charlotte in office with me in Collingwood Street. Norman, I'll start with you, mate. Um, we didn't win the game yesterday. And that's very disappointing. What did you make of it, mate? I cannot, for the life of me, believe that we didn't win that game in terms of, obviously, the... I would say the chances we had, the chances that we did have, I mean, it's could you argue that they weren't necessarily clear-cut? I mean, possibly not. You know, maybe the Willock one at the end that he put past the post, but even then that was more kind of from a melee in the box. But, you know, you're looking at some of the saves that Gwaita made, they were out, outstanding you're looking at the kind of bad look of the army run shot that hits the post. And obviously, the goal that wasn't given, that was clearly a goal. I mean, it, quite frankly, a phenomenal piece of work by the VAR official and the referee to disallow that. I don't know if any listeners or you on this particular panel have seen Match of the Day, but Alan Shearer's, pod, uh, Alan Shearer's comments, I think, spoke for many Newcastle fans, the, the, the sort of control fury that he showed towards that decision. I think it reflects how I feel. Um, it, it, I'm almost lost for words as to how we didn't win it. I suppose we could develop an argument that we're not as clinical as we need to be. And this is something, Alex, that you mentioned actually after the Forest game on the first day of the season. We beat them 2-0, but ultimately we probably should have won that by four or five clear goals. And I remember responding to you at the time saying, well, actually, if we keep creating that many chances we probably will score the goals because, you know, if you're having 20 shots at goal, the likelihood is, even if you're not clinical, one of them is probably going to get in. And that one would have been enough yesterday. But it's now looking like, actually, we are maybe lacking that bit of cutting edge. I don't think that's necessarily a centre-forward problem. I think Isak, the goals will come once the service comes. I thought, actually, the, the base service that he got yesterday was very good when he did have the ball. Of course, he had that great chance early on. You know, you could put that down to a little bit of the fact that he hasn't necessarily had much in the way of training at the club, how alluded to that. Um, but we've got to look at the wide men, we'll look at the midfield, and that level of clinicality isn't necessarily, despite the fact that quite made good saves. So there is a bit of a concern. Um, that's all I can say. We just didn't put our chances away. We're lacking a clinical edge. And my God, Crystal Palace really had some incredible fortune. Charlotte, let's let's jump right in. Let's jump right in. All right. 
Are you going to get conspiratorial with us? What the fuck is going on? What is going on? You know, it's really hard not to. I, I'm not. <laughs> but it's, you know, it is a battle. I'm like, you look at, at decisions like ours yesterday, the VAR decision, and also the West Ham one, which I think is also scandalous. And you can, it's really hard to look at both of those and think like, what the hell is going on? Midweek as well, um, the extra time added on. I, I, I. I'd like to get conspiratorial. I'd quite like to, to sort of say like something is something is afoot. I, I just think it's bad officiating, and I think that there's a lack of transparency in that officiating, and that's the issue. But I also it, it's it is hard not to think like against us though, against other teams that aren't in the top. You know, your quote unquote top six. I don't know. I uh, yeah, I agree with you in. in this one would be bad enough when we're going to talk about this one against this team in this fixture with these officials. But it, I hate the fact that this is now dominating the discourse around our start to the season. And just to give listeners a reminder, you had Callum Wilson penalised for a high foot, which was about a foot away from the Brighton defender's head, and he puts that away. Then you have the shark clear penalty. All day long, that's a penalty against Manchester City. I think possibly Putney Castle 3-1 up before half-time. Uh, then you have the long staff pull back against Wolves, which again is is as clear as day a foul. That is a foul in the penalty box. Then you have the Isaac offside against Liverpool, which I'm I'm not saying it's not offside, but the the, the broadcasters haven't helped themselves by just brushing over it. It didn't happen. We're not going to show you a close. We're not going to zoom in on why it was actually offside. Um, it looked level. Um, then you've got the a goal in the 98th minute against Liverpool, and now you've got this perfectly good goal um, disallowed. It, it's starting, and a lot of fans are starting to think that this there, there is something in this beyond just the ineptitude of the officials. I was going to come to Alex on this, but normally you want to come. Obviously, quickly. we've had really bad decisions with VAR over the past few weeks. I mean, you could even take it back to last season as well. There were certain decisions that we ought to have had and we didn't get them. But you look at West Ham yesterday, that was a disgraceful uh piece of refereeing in that West Ham game to disallow Coney as well. I mean, spectacularly bad and Moyes rightfully kicked off like the angry man that he is. You look at, you know, Lampard, I've got no love for Lampard at all, but I think he was very, you know, justified in saying that Van Dijk probably should have been sent off. That didn't get checked. So, look, I saw a West Ham podcast or Twitter feed this morning with quite a lot of followers tweeting about the fact that, you know, the Premier League corrupt and it's, they're looking after, the, they're all threatened by Newcastle and West Ham, so they're all you know, they're all out to get well. I don't think that's the case at all. Um, but at the same time, I can understand why people start falling into conspiracy theory type thoughts because it's just incredible how, how bad it's gone against clubs such as us in West Ham lately. Um, I'm, after this podcast, I'm straight off to check out some of MQ and on's Facebook pages. So we'll see where that leads. <laughs> Alex, when I asked you what you wanted to talk about for this fixture, for this podcast, you said uh, the first three things you said, disallowed goal, the AR officials to take it away. I mean, what's your take on this goal? Yeah, I mean, we've pointed out a lot of the key factors already, but there's a few things beyond that to, to support. I don't want to go down the conspiracy route, but it, it does it does seem like the officials are somewhat scared of uh, certain certain teams, certain managers. I mean, we look back to was it was it Jesse Marsh got sent to the stands um, over the weekend, and of course we saw Jurgen Klopp get away with three or four touchline outbursts with no with no penalty, which which ultimately led to tensions on the touchline after the final whistle and and the scenes that that we saw. Um, And it just seems like a lack of accountability for for them at the top. 
Uh, but it's not it's not across the board. Pep seems to be a little bit more gracious on the touchline compared to others. Was very respectful about us after the City game. So it's it's not all of them, but you know, there's even more beyond just what's going on on the pitch. There's sidelines, there's behind the scenes interviews, pressure, comments, whinging. It's um, mm, it, it's 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 a hard pill to swallow, but we're gonna have to um, we're just gonna have to try and win it on the pitch from open play because with these fine margins. And with the with the quality of officiating at the moment, we're not getting the rub of the green, um, and we need our stars back so we can we can win by a few more clear goals. Yeah, well, and I agree with you completely. And this is why I say I kind of hate this. I mean, I don't think anyone enjoys it. I don't think anyone's like, oh yeah, I want to go to the football and then complain about the ref or VAR. It's not. It's no one signs up for this. No one pays for this. But to, to bring it back to the goal yesterday, we were at the other end of the pitch in the corner. So I don't really know what happened. I mean, it is quite hilarious that. The Crystal Palace defender both teams to commit a foul for a penalty and concede no goal in the space of one and a half seconds. It's quite something. Um, but but ultimately, I when we first saw it, okay, me and Charlotte were recording an instant reaction podcast for patrons, and we had we had a really good chance to to look at it from all angles. And and it's one of those where I saw it and I thought, you know what, if that's if that's if that goes against you, if we're the defending side. You're screaming for a disallowed goal. You're screaming for it. I would be furious, and I was thinking, oh, you know, it's it's just a bit, it's a bit social media. It's a bit us. And then I saw the fucking reverse angle when we got back to the office, mm. and I am I am still outraged. Joe Willock is pushed. He yeah, is yeah. pushed into the goalkeeper. Now there may be an argument to say he's probably throwing himself in that direction anyway, because that's where the ball seems to be going. But it doesn't matter what his intentions were. There is an arm in his back, and he is pushed. And how, how? Trained professionals who do this for a living can come to it, can come together in the heat of the moment, but still come together. Two people can look at the screen and think, "We're going to disallow this goal, and we're going to ignore the push." It is absolutely farcical. I'm sick of it. It ruined the whole day. It ruined the game. It th- these decisions are having massive consequences in the Newcastle United season right now. And I'm a big, I'm a big believer in you get what you deserve. Okay, across the season, across 38 games. VAR is making, is testing that belief of mine because I've just listed a load of decisions there and if someone out there has a list of, you know, comparable decisions that have gone for Newcastle in all of those games and they could look at Fabian Shaw at Wolves, I don't think it was a red card myself. I think he, I don't think he even tripped you as a red card. Maybe a dark yellow, but it wasn't red. But, but apart from that, there is, they're two, they're two instances. We've got six or seven and that is, Crystal Palace weren't coming back from a goal down yesterday. You know, the Crystal Palace were so scared of committing men ahead of the ball or, or even getting men into the box because they were so worried about the threat Newcastle posed. They're going to expose themselves to counter-attacks. Um, it, it, is, it has killed the game for us, and it's, um, it leaves a really bitter taste. And I'm sick of it, and there's no accountability. I think Mark Douglas, friend of the show, put on social media yesterday, why can't we hear the conversations on television between the VAR and the official on the pitch? And therefore, at least we know as supporters why these decisions are being made. Why does Lee Mason, who's the VAR, when he's speaking to the referee yesterday, he should be talking about the push and why he doesn't think it's a foul. So apparently they didn't even show our ref all the angles on, really? on the VAR. He just was shown, like, not all the angles it's that we saw on the telly. Fucking kids club. Do you yeah, know it's what ridiculous. I, mean? it's, this I is... don't know if that's true, but that is apparently what was what was said. That's what Shearer, I think, said on uh, Match of the Day, just what, what Charlotte yeah. said there, that he was only... Show more angle, but that's, I mean, 
Also, there was the argument that he's an experienced referee and maybe he could have, if he'd had a bit more experience, asked to see it from a different angle. But irrespective of that, the reality is that you look sometimes, I think, at the reaction of players and in the moment. And Mitchell, Mitchell had the face of someone who just scored one goal. That wasn't a player thinking, yeah. I've got something out of this there. This is a foul. I've been fouled. I'm going to complain. He didn't put his hands up. He didn't complain. Guaita didn't put his hand up. Guaita didn't complain. He's supposedly the player who's been pushed. There wasn't any reaction from Crystal Palace. And if you look against Liverpool as well, there was no reaction from the Liverpool players that Isak was offside, right? And I know it's a very fine margin, right? But there was no, you know, normally a defender, if they think they can get away with something, they put the hand up straight offside. That didn't happen. So it is very worrying. And I think going to what Alex was saying in terms of there being this fear of these certain types of managers, Klopp, for example, is one of them, right? That's a great point you make on comparing him with Marsh. You're absolutely spot on there. This reminds me, you know, it, it's... It's kind of history repeating itself, right? It happens all the time. You know, you look at Fergie. There was a, a concept of Fergie time, right? But the difference is, obviously, is that the the scrutiny that Ferguson had isn't... It, it, well, it, you know, the scrutiny, sorry, that there is now, Ferguson didn't have. So it's like, how how can something get worse? How is, how is it actually making it worse, right? We've got Varna, which is supposed to make things better, isn't it? And it's not. It seems to be making it worse. And it seems to be even making it even more divisive and making fans think even more that there is this sort of, this bias towards big clubs because of that fear. Again, I'm not... I'm trying not to go down conspiracy theories because that's sort of rubbish. But at the same time, I think there maybe is some sort of subconscious bias towards the so-called bigger clubs. That obviously that doesn't play into yesterday's decision, by the way. But it's yeah, it is very frustrating. I think Mark Douglas' suggestion about hearing the conversations is one that I think it's it's got legs, right? It won't happen, but it's a very interesting idea, and I, I think I kind of back it. Um, yeah, I mean Stones as well. You mentioned you mentioned the like, opposition players not reacting to these scenarios like in real time uh, against Manchester City as well. Stones is pushed on share that the jump onto him in the penalty box. He, uh, his, his face showed it all. He walked off. He knew he'd messed up, um, wasn't punished. So that, that's a, that's an additional situation that was just completely ignored. Um, but to build, to build on that, we mentioned people on social media commenting on it. It's a um, little, little, little bit of a void point, but it's still interesting to say the least that we, a lot of our traditional enemies uh, on social media or in sort of the, the atmosphere, you know, people such as Owen and Richard Keyes, who have not not often sung our praises, a lot of them are sort of to, sort of coming round uh, in defence of some of recent decisions, which is very strange. Um, so you know, when people who have been rather rather you know not particularly nice to us for for many years, when they all start to come out and defend decisions, um, it's it's concerning. It's it's nice, but concerning. It's very strange. The world the world's changing. Um, I don't know how I feel on that. And as for Lee Mason as well, I think I think definitely there seems to be a bit of an influence on possibly newer referees. It seemed uh, in the early days of VAR, it seemed like the referee would have the final say and would ignore the VAR box. But it seems like this year, um, there seems to be a bit more leaning on the referee from the VAR officials, possibly the powers moving upstairs instead of on the pitch. It It's just something I've noticed. It might might be nothing, but it seems like it's reversing slightly. And I think uh, Michael Oliver got a lot of credit yesterday for being sent to the screen. I think he's either one of the first ones this season or or, or the first one this season to be sent to a screen by a, a VAR to have a look and say, no, nah, I, was, I was correct in my initial decision. I don't think you're right to send me for a look. And, and he gave the penalty. Um, it was uh, Bournemouth uh, Forest, I think, was the game. But but that feeds into your point. He's the most senior referee. So he has maybe he has the, you know... The, the aura to be able to say to a VAR, no, I'm right, you're wrong. Let me get on with my job. We're going to take break for an advert and we're going to move on from 
this and talk about some of the football, more of the football. Um, so here are some adverts. Uh, we're on Patreon. It's £8 a month. If you don't write the adverts, you can listen to the show without them. You also get loads more of these type of podcasts for that into your podcast app of choice. We'll be back after these. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. We're going to start part two of the show now, and I suppose uh, it is worth us having a, a bit of a touch on our... New £60 million man, Alexander Izak. Um, Alex, you were keen to make some points on him, so take it away, mate. Yeah, difficult game for him yesterday. Um, he has settled very well into the system very, very quickly. Considering he wasn't much of a, a presser in the Sociedad side, he, he looks like he's very quickly slotted in, understands the press, can press with Miggy, uh, robbed the ball back uh, against Liverpool, robbed it against Palace, and that, that got him through on goal. Seems clever with his movement. Fitness maybe not quite up to Premier League standard yet, but he played more minutes. Um, but again, we talked about service. Not enough, really. Um, I'm sure we'll talk about Fraser and, and Murphy later on and uh, Miggy potentially being, well, average. But th- there was not a lot of service to, to Isak at all. Uh, a few people commented on, on the one-on-one that he didn't manage to get the dink over the keeper. That, that's a tougher shot than people give him credit for. That's... Um, you know, with, after the dribble and beat, beating the men and having all that time to think, he's still a young lad. I can't, we can't complain about just the, the one. But he did well. He brought players into into the game. Uh, a few little link-up plays. Later on, in, later on in the game, he was trying to do little speedy passes and create something. He, he'd got that footballing intelligence there at that age. And there wasn't really anybody on the pitch at the time who could um, be on the same page as him um, in that phase of the game, which was a shame. And I feel like with, with Bruno and Maxi on the pitch, they would have understood that link up slightly better. So I think there's a lot more to come. But he was ticking all the right boxes. He was he was in the right places at the right times. Uh, people do have to appreciate he's not much of an aerial threat. Uh, we we do look a bit a bit soft in corners. To be fair, considering we had about 13 corners against Wolves, we had a lot again yesterday. We do need to start putting some of these corners away. We've got one of the biggest squads in the league. Um, 
Unfortunately, he's not he's not known for his aerial prowess despite his height. It is a common misconception. But he's doing all the right things. He's getting shots away. He looks lively. He looks like he's he's understanding our system very quickly, which is nice because Sociedad play very differently. Um, and there's a lot to come from him. Hopefully, when we see some some of our better players back, we'll get a bit more because it, it, it did seem he wasn't getting a lot of support up the pitch. He, he had a few few times Miggy was with him. Uh, Willock was up. Willock tended to sort of stay up quite high. He does this with Wilson as well, where we uh, where Willock will kind of stay just off the striker. But we we need our star players back. It uh, it it shows open play goals. Just we look far more likely to score from set pieces, um, and we're just not doing so. We, you know we can't have we can't have over the wall every game. We we we, we need um, we need real chances. We we can't just get bailed out all the time. I agree with you on Isak. I think he's settled in really remarkably quickly, given that it's been a whirlwind. What eight or nine days, and the potential that he's shown. It's I mean, it's very encouraging, right? Obviously, the goal, the goals, plural, against Liverpool were utterly fantastic. I think you're spot on in terms of that chance he had after 15 minutes yesterday. You know, if, um, it's his debut at home. There's the pressure. There's so many different factors that have made him just make the right, wrong choice in that moment. And, and how's more or less said that straight after the game um, that you know he's gone for a particular kind of finish that didn't work, didn't work out. And I'm sure as he, you know, he, he beds himself in at Newcastle as he's coached by how his team that he'll maybe become more clinical. I think that potential is it. And it's it's interesting what you say about not being um, effective in the air. You're completely right. At the same time, what I do hope is that, you know, you look at him at the moment, he's 1m92, right? So he's very tall. But he only weighs 70, kilo, uh, 70 kilos. I'm six kilos heavier than him. And I'm, what, like four foot three? <laughs> I'm built like an absolute tank. But, you know, this man is going to... This man, Isak, I think, with as he gets older the next couple of years and as he again, gets used to the rig as a Premier League, he probably will bulk up and put on a good few kilos of muscle and that might help him in the box when we do have set pieces be a bit more of a bully because I do think he has the potential to bully players with a bit more muscle on him. Um, but how's comments at the end? I just thought, you know, it they were really they were really really bang on. You know, I'll quote how directly he said, I thought we starved him uh, with the ball a little bit and I desperately wanted him to try and get on the ball more, especially in the attacking third. It's just that he's had no training time with us. So he's been thrust right into action and I think he's done very well but there's a lot of improvement for us as a team to try and serve him. So that just ties into what you said, Alex. And personally, I've got a feeling that we've got a 15-goal striker there, at least a 15-goal striker, which, you know, I think would be a fantastic achievement in his first season if he can if he can get upwards of those figures. Very interesting points from, from both of you. Alex, I really liked your point about how effective Isak will be when we have our best players. And that probably doesn't just apply to Isak, but the whole team football club region, my life in particular, would be much better if those players played. And Charlotte, you really wanted to make that point, didn't you, about yesterday and how the contrast between what we're seeing right now and what is to come. Absolutely. Like, you know, I think we've done incredibly well with this set of players against some really tough teams. You know, when you see LaSalle in the team against Liverpool and you see Longstaff, you think, oh, God. Um, but held our own, should have won the game, really. Um, so I don't want to take away from what we have achieved with those players, but they're, they're not that we do have a couple of players who are a class above. Um, ASM, we're missing that creativity. We're missing that speed. Um, Almiron isn't a player like ASM he can he can he can he can move the ball up the pitch but he's not as creative he's not he just doesn't have that flight he doesn't frighten other players in the same way and Bruno like who is just a magician on the ball and 
I can't wait to see. We haven't been, we haven't seen Isak link up with those players yet. Yesterday, looking at the midfield, in particular in the second half, there was nothing there. There was nothing in the middle of the pitch. It was all on the sides of, on the channels on the sides of the pitch, and we we just we were struggling. We just weren't able to, when we got the. We, I say we were struggling. We're still we're still still being played in their third. Like, but it, there was there was just nothing there, and I can't wait to see how different it'll be when like Bruno's getting the ball to Isak or like ASM's you know bringing it like and chipping it in if, if he does actually pass. Um, so we are missing that and and actually Alex you made the point on our instant reaction pod on Patreon that um it, that would have been a great game for John Joe Shelby as well and you kind of forget that John Joe Shelby is out too because because we signed all these sort of midfield players and we have such creativity in midfield but as soon as as soon as a few of them are out we're re- we I don't know like really miss them and I think uh it won't be long are we expecting him back for Bruno not Shelby obviously I, I, for West Ham, I really hope all three are back. I'm yeah. going to start. I mean, I trust Eddie Howe with everything, my mortgage, my job. <laughs> but, he, but, but, he, but he isn't always strictly honest in the media about how players are going to be on. He's like, yeah, oh yeah. yeah, you know, Wilson's fine. It's he's, it's nothing. It's nothing to be worried about. Well, he's missed numerous games yeah, now. Yeah, yeah, Like, and I think you made the point that the first time he was injured, he was like, it looks bad, but we'll hope to have him back soon. And he missed five months. Yeah. Um, and, and the point I made was that when he said Wilson will be out for a few games, we broke our transfer record immediately yeah. <laughs> and bought a striker. Like, that doesn't suggest he's only going to be out for a few games to me. Yeah. And it's, yeah, like I said um, on the, I said this on Patreon, but I'll say it again for people, for the masses. Um, John Joe always gets better when he's out of the team. Yes. But that doesn't mean he isn't actually good because he is. You know, whenever whenever we don't have John Joe Shelby in the team, pretty much since we signed him, but but definitely in the Eddie Howe era or just before, we have been a worst team from an attacking sense without him, and he's a massive miss. To have him and the three obvious players missing at once is catastrophic, and therefore it feeds into your point, Sean, that, that actually you look at the results and you look at the performances and you look at the high standards that we're still setting without getting the goals that we maybe deserve. That it, it feeds into my next point that I was going to ask anyone about feel free if someone wants to take this Alex is going to jump in actually but are these the good days will we look back on this when we're flying later on in the season with everyone thinking tell you what tell it was a good period of the season when all of the class lads were injured and we still did okay yeah Alex yeah um there's definitely a good point about Shelby there to be had because uh whenever we've missed sort of key players like Maxi or potentially Bruno in the past our alternate plan was having this nice little passing triangle between Trippier, Shelby and Cher to play switches and long balls. Uh, we, we tried to pack it over towards Joe Linton and Wood in our unbeaten run, and that was the play. We saw a lot of that yesterday. Trippier was ridiculous, like four long balls, six key passes, eight crosses. Everything was through Trippier yesterday because that was our only attacking outlet, really, to try and create from deeper. But we were missing Shelby. If we, if we try that system again, that was kind of a similar way to how we were doing it in the unbeaten run. We, we had Cher, whose long balls weren't amazing yesterday, um, and then Trippy was sort of the only one. Whereas when we do have Shelby, that kind of style works a lot more because they can't stop all of the angles and all of the runs and all of the decisions for, for, for those long balls. So it's either Maxi and Bruno and playing a different way or, or that. And without Shelby, trying to do that system without Shelby, it was vi- visibly different. We just couldn't quite get it. They were trying those long switches over, to, to sort of Fraser and Isak maybe wasn't quite on the same page to receive that yet. Joe Linton was 
little bit off the pace without Bruno in that midfield as well. Um, in terms of he wasn't linking up as well in the sort of first half an hour, a few misplaced passes. It's it's you know it's it's noticeable that he misses Bruno. To be fair, but just two con- contrasting styles of trying to break teams down and attack. Um, one requires Shelby, which we didn't have. The other requires Maxi or Bruno or both, and we you know we didn't have. So um, we need to find another way to break teams down, especially if we're not putting in corners and set pieces. Um, with the player personnel on the pitch, they still did very well, but just not quite enough to confidently get open play goals from the, from the way it is at the moment. Spot on. The other issue I think that became apparent yesterday for me was that, you know, regardless of what in-game tweaks we might make to the tactics to try and break down a team like Palace, playing like Palace, I think the lack of strength and depth was highlighted. Yes, I know we do have very serious injuries to quality players at the moment, but the options from the bench yesterday, we didn't really see any change when they came on and I think that's possibly a concern when we do pick up these few injuries you know like I I think Jake Murphy sometimes comes on and he does make a difference purely because he's fast and direct I don't think it's anything to do with his actual ability on the ball I just think you know tiring legs towards the end of the opposition Murphy can have a bit of an impact but yesterday I just thought we saw that that real lack of strength sure um you know we can't we can't bring anyone on who, when they come on, can just immediately change the game by, you know, even just lifting the crowd, you know, bringing someone in the crowd to get in, he's coming on. Somebody can skimp, yes, I know. We'll go into Anderson, obviously, there's a there's the potential there. We'll, we'll talk about that when we do. But I think that that for me yesterday was no matter what, how was trying to do on the pitch tactically to change things. Sometimes you just need to have a couple of players who can come from the bench and just change it by them, yeah presence on the pitch and and how they play as individuals and unfortunately we're not in a strong position in that sense at the minute I mean the subs were a massive issue yesterday Alex Alex has just written in our private chat the only time Palace I thought had a real foothold in the game was when they made that triple sub and we 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 were tired there's a lot of games some of these players have played uh, tough long games Wolves went Wolves went 114 minutes or something Liverpool went 112 or whatever uh, you know, the fact that Howe hasn't been able to rotate maybe like he might have because of the injuries to key players like Joe Willock and Joe Linton have played every single minute of, of, of football this season almost, which is incredible. Um, I suppose then, and, and you know, I thought I thought our bench options are, are, are really weird, but let, let, can I ask you all about the, the broader question of where, where you assess we are right now? Let's, let's talk about the start to the season. We're six games in, I think. We're six games in. Um, you know, Alex, your assessment so far, good start, bad start, and different start, a wait and see start? Um, I, I don't think there's much of an issue. I think we're all very aware of how we can play and what our level is when we've got the players fit. We all know there's a there's a depth issue. Um, there's nothing we can do about it. We, you know, if there's issues with officiating in VAR, there's, that's not that's not really our concern. It's frustrating. We've just got to, you know, there's only certain things in our control. And that is getting players fit again and playing a positive brand of football like we're trying to do and win matches. Um, and I'm pretty confident after some of these performances that with our best players on the pitch, we can we can try and take three points from anybody in the league. So we'll just have to have to move on to that phase and, and hopefully hopefully we'll get three points in the next game. I agree. I think some of the football players have been fantastic. I think we're creating chances. Uh, we've been very unlucky in terms of decisions, as we've already discussed, and in terms of injuries. I think the points and the wins will come. However, obviously the concern is is that our next game is against a very good West Ham side who had a poor start of the season, but they've done well in the last three games. You know, draws away to Chelsea, a draw to Spurs, the one at Villa prior to that. So they've had a very good week. And they've obviously brought in Paqueta, who's 
going to make a difference. No two ways about it. I wish Bruno was fit for this game because I'd love to see him and Paqueta go at it against each other, but that might not happen. I think that the concern for me is, is that obviously we got to West Ham and, you know, we've got the potential to come away with a win, a good draw, but also they've got the potential to beat us, right? Because they're, they're a good side. They finished in the top seven the last two seasons or top eight. So we lose that game and then we're on six points with two defeats and only one win after seven league games. And that's when maybe, maybe a little bit of pressure cranks up. We're quite fortunate in the fact that we've got Bournemouth at home and although Bournemouth have got the same amount of points as us, they're a poor side and they will concede a lot of goals, right? And our press against them, we should beat them. But it does crank up the pressure. So, yes, I think there's so much potential there. I think we've played really well. We've been incredibly unlucky. But I am concerned if we lose against West Ham that those kind of, those little questions and that, Kind of that little bit of self belief might be might be affected, but that's probably just years of being a Newcastle fan and being tra- having all my hopes and dreams trampled on. I'm sure we'll destroy Bournemouth like five nil and beat West Ham. I think a lot of that pressure would come internally as well. There are players who signed for Newcastle United to play European football. They don't want to wait four years to do that. You know, their their, their careers will pass them by. Rudiger in his first interview in Newcastle, nineteenth in the Premier League in January twenty twenty two, says. I've come here to play in the Champions League. He isn't talking season 28, 29. He's, he's talking soon. Um, having said that, we all know that the fixtures um, from much of September and October are winnable. And, and like you said, Alex, it, I, think, I, think, I think it's a perfect point, actually, because the points total, like Norman says, is the same as Bournemouth. But you ask anyone who's played either side this season, who's the better team? Who will do better this season? And every single person would truly say Newcastle United because... They've seen what we've, we deserve. They've seen how well we can play. People are aware of the injuries we've got. I don't think there's a comparison between those two sides, despite the same points total. Norman, uh, you, you asked me to talk about this, and you've just written it in the chat. Um, Patrick Vieira was very complimentary, was he not, after the game? I think it's interesting to look at, you know, you mentioned Bournemouth, and obviously they are on the same points as us at the minute. You know, Fulham are ahead of win the table, for example. We're only three points off the bottom four, all that, right? You can look at the game, the, the points totals, and think, oh, maybe we have had a poor start of the season. But I guess it's how other managers look at the performances they put it against you. And Vieira came out after the game yesterday and said he's very pleased with the point because Newcastle are one of the teams close to Europe. I think he meant in terms of qualifying, not, you know, geographically because he's incorrect. We are actually in Europe still, you know, England is a, a nation within the European continent. But I think he meant um, we're going to, you know, we are going to be up there at the end of the season, which is, which, you know, you look at how Klopp celebrated that win. You look at the dummy being spat by Wolves. You look at Guardiola's comments after the match. You know, so regardless of the points on the board, I think how other teams see playing against us now is more reflective of where we are. And if other managers like, like Vieira are coming out and saying this is a team that has a potential against Europe, then I think that suggests that we're in very good hands. And despite the fact that we've only won one in six, we will still be all right. We'll pick up, we'll start picking up the wins as you know, as the, the games come thick and fast. Yeah, definitely, definitely. And I also think that either even the way Palace approached yesterday, I watched Palace play at Liverpool and it wasn't dissimilar, you know, to, to the way Palace approached the game. The, the, I think Palace, that's a great draw for Palace. I think Palace pre-game are delighted with the draw. I think they're even more delighted post-game. And that, again, speaks to where we're headed in our direction as a side. We're going to finish the show on a couple of big positives. We want to highlight some performances. Charlotte, Kieran Trippier, you are just happy with him. I am just happy with him. I would, you know... When I like a player, I go mad and I'm like, I want to write poetry and I want to I want to sing songs. He's just that player, isn't he? He's just that player. His, um, I think Alex has some some stats for you guys, but 
I, like he seemed to play about like four different positions yesterday he just has the most incredible attitude it, it seeps out of him on the pitch you can see he, he gets people together he picks the ball he's like he's he's, he's like he doesn't want a time waste you know for all Liverpool fans whinging about how we were time wasting like he, he's not that player he's not interested he wants to play the football I think having a player like him who has been playing European football in his career is used to or you know has a yeah is, is used to he has experience in playing lots of games with like it, we've played what six in two weeks it, he has experience playing lots of games like that so he has that kind of fitness it's in him and um and yeah it was tired all of our players when they came off the pitches they looked tired I'm really glad there's like seven full days be- between our that and our next game but he is just he's just so good he's so good and okay there was a there was a a a free kick yesterday that wasn't brilliant he's not gonna get them all he's not gonna get them all that he got three of four that's like that's ridiculous he plays for Newcastle United and I sometimes have to sort of pinch myself but he was just class yesterday he's just class as a footballer and as a man (laughs) yes he's a leader Alex you've got some trivia stats for Charlotte yeah, well, I mean, his heat, his heat map is is both a right back and a right midfielder. It's sort of Trent Alexander-Arnold heat map. Um, he contributes defensively, two tackles, two interceptions, and it's it's so integral in in how we sort of try to attack and do our build up with sixty eight touches, and he everything was coming through him with um, eight crosses, four long balls, and six key passes. Which for people who don't really sort of know much about key passes if players get two or three in a game that's that's very impressive so to get six is quite it's quite outrageous actually six key passes in a game is, is filthy um but it was even just the use of the armband um keep making sure joe linton doesn't get a headbutt or a or a, or a yellow card because you know he he's constantly sort of shepherding players away from the referee and just making sure the lads are in check uh, we love to see the passion but he, he just ticks every single box um it's you know he, it's uh, he even shepherds Miggy defensively as well. If he's if he's been caught out a bit, he will point point Miggy where to go. He he guides the lads in transition. It's just amazing. Even though he's potentially not as quick as he was five seasons ago, he compensates for that intelligently by sort of guiding his teammates. Um, just exceptional. Just brilliant footballer. Totally agree. Uh, the the next player I want to touch on from yesterday is Sven Botman. Um, at both ends of the pitch, which I didn't expect. And th- this this is a guy who, if he continues in the, it, it, the form that we showed yesterday, and Alex is right, you mentioned how many corners we had. He he looks like a real goal threat. I mean, he has the header from the big chance where we should score three times in one chance and we score none. Um, it's his header. Great save by the goalkeeper, but really good header. Um, he then has a shot kind of with the outside of his foot from another corner, which the keeper is, is expecting to go back across him, gets down to make a good save. And then also for for the disallowed goal, um, Botman's header, it's like he has to almost stoop to get his head on the ball. And the direction on it, it was the superhuman feet. He looks like, for a 22-year-old, he looks like one hell of a footballer. I absolutely love this kid. Like, he, if, if this is him now and you assume he's going to get much, much better as we go on, you can see why he was almost, I think along from what I read alongside Isaac, when the new owners took place, when they got together with Eddie Howe, the two, the two players they wanted, or the three including Bruno, but Bruno, Isak and Botman in the same team. That's scary before you throw in lots of other good footballers. This is why I'm not worried about like not scoring yet or like 
not with seven seven points on the board is that what we've got now like I'm just I'm just not worried about it we have such talent in our team that once it comes together it's good like we're we're so close to scoring (laughs) a lot of goals that once all of that is like working together I just it's gonna be it's gonna be class Botman starts Alex we we do enjoy them it's it's just the for his age. You, you, you mentioned the age, and like, I've got to do it again. He's twenty two. It's 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 outrageous. At uh, forty four out of forty nine passes, at ninety percent passing accuracy, just just stands there and pings the ball about. Just the the calm, the calmness of him. He plays like a thirty two year old. He just doesn't care. He's got all the time in the world. Um, you know, six long balls across the pitch. Not all of them worked, but you know, he found it was six out of ten. So he found them six times. It's just so calm and collected, and and arguably should have had a well, a wonky assist because it was his header across goal that that sort of resulted in the disallowed goal. So he's ticking all the right boxes and he does look very threatening from set pieces. And he, I think he's quite unfortunate not to have been on the score sheet so far yet for us. It's so weird to me, just a quick aside, that we're talking about like 21, 22-year-old players, like not like 28-year-olds that were giving four-year contracts <laughs> to and stuff. <laughs> I still find that really strange. Yeah, why why sign Botman when you can have Hendrik on a free? I know they play different <laughs> positions, but the the transfer strategies change, Norman. I love Botman because you know you look at Fabian Shea, who I absolutely love, right? But we know the reality costs three and a half million from Deputy Villa Coruña. But in terms of his ability, right, Shea is a goal threat. He scored goals. He's long passing can be fantastically effective. He's a very intelligent footballer. But in terms of his natural ability, if you look at if you look at Botman, right, you kind of you map Shea onto Botman. It's almost like Botman's kind of got. The ability that Shea has, but like times it by ten, he's got like the, the, the sort of world class potential that maybe Shea never had. And I look at that spine of the team you've just mentioned. There, this potential spine of the team, right? Isak, Guimaraes, and Botman. And that two or three years, there is no reason that if we get these players to realise that that clearly obvious, the obvious potential, that is a spine that could grace the Champions League. In my opinion, it's absolutely phenomenal. And then you look at Nick Pope and goal. So there, there's a spine yeah. right down the middle of the team, which is. Pretty spectacular, and given where we were 12 months ago, it still seems slightly unreal to be honest with you. I'm pleased you mentioned Pope. Um, as we're coming to the end of the show, uh, that save yesterday on TV, I don't think it looked as good as it did at the ground. We so were in the Gallagher corner, so the ball is coming towards us at that side of the goal, and it's just a goal. It's just in the it, it, it's, t- it, it's too fast, it's too hard, it's, and, and he sticks his leg out. and it's like the podcast you did on Patreon, Norman, with Mike, the Burnley fan, who said this guy just saves shot after shot with his legs and feet. He's the best in the he's the best in the league with those kind of saves. I don't know how he doesn't get a shout over Pickford. I really, yeah, really don't. It's, it's it's maddening, but we'll have to we'll crack on. And Norman, you at the end of the show, you've been keen to talk about uh, our good impact sub yesterday, Elliot Anderson. Uh, we'll finish on that, mate. What do you want to say? Well, for a start, I love the kid, obviously. I mean, he's a Geordie for a start. He's come through the academy. I am desperate for him to make it as a really, really good Premier League player. And he's clearly got the, the tools to do that. Obviously, I'm looking at it probably more subjectively than I would any other player. I'm sure Alex would be able to put me right if I get too hyperbolic with, um, obviously, his ability to look at the game more forensically than me. But what... I'm seeing at the minute, obviously, is a clamour for him to start. And I'm personally desperate for him to start a game, given, you know, given the injuries that we do have. It's almost a case of thinking, well, why not? Why not? He can bring um, he can bring something different. I've just had a, a brilliant stuff on some stats from Alex there, so hopefully you can, can bring them up in a bit. But um, the 
the, the concern I guess I've got is, is that obviously, you know, how knows what he's doing, right? You know, you look at what he did with Guimaraes, for, for example, in terms of bedding him in the team quite gradually. And Guimaraes is already really, you could argue, more or less a world-class player, whereas Elliot's just a young kid. And I like the idea of starting him, but I suppose it's one of those. At the moment, he's coming on as a sub and he's having an impact, right? It's confidence building, it's confidence building, he's having an impact. We start him in a game, let's see, we start him against West Ham away. I mean, I doubt that'll happen, but let's see, we did. And he doesn't have that impact from kickoff. Then is that going to be good for his development right now? Like, do we do we really need to be thinking about starting the next two or three games? Or do we think, actually, let's keep going as it is for the next six or seven games and then maybe see if we can give him a start to whilst... I'm kind of on board with the clamour at the same time. There is a little bit of me that's nervous. If he does get a start and it doesn't work out, it might kind of slightly set him back. You lot may well disagree with me on that, so please please do. Uh, yeah, so Anderson, I, I agree with you somewhat. It, you've got to be careful on, on which match you pick for Anderson because I think we're all, we're all calling for him to start. Um, I think it was a brave... I think it was a, a fair decision from anyhow not to give him the start against Palace. Palace were a huge physical dominant side. Um... And the, the danger is with him in the first 60 minutes of a game when it's a bit more calm and collected. He looks great when he comes on as a sub because people are a bit more leggy, gets a bit more space. He can run and scare people. Um, but in the first hour against, you know, Palace are huge. We don't we don't want him to get sort of banged about and um, potentially lose a bit of confidence, although he looks like he's got very good mentality. So um, and likewise against West Ham, you've got sort of Suchek on that side. You've got to choose the right moments in the right game. We've got to make sure. And Eddie Howe has done that with every other player who's come in. Or obviously, this is different. He's progressed for us. Yeah. So twenty minutes. So he came on as a sub. So in the twenty minutes, he managed some dribbles, won some free kicks, got some crosses. Was was pretty much our most impressive outlet late on. And he really is. I know it's a substitute, but he really is pushing for a start. I think you just have to trust Eddie Howe on this. Like that's how I feel about Elliot Anderson. I think he has tons of potential. But I would rather see him coming on, making a little bit of an impact, building that confidence, as you say, and and like defer. I defer to Eddie Howe to build this kid up because he's he's super young. There's tons uh, he could offer, and I think Eddie Howe knows that he's excellent at nurturing players. So I I think he's doing the right thing for him. On that note, we'll leave it there. Thanks so much to you three. Thanks to everybody for listening. If you like what we do, you know where we are. We're on Patreon. It's eight pounds a month. And you'll get lots more podcasts this week. Building up to Newcastle United's massive game at West Ham next week. Both Alex and Norman are going to be there, so I'm sure. And I hope you can join us for the next free pod after that next Monday. Thanks for listening. Goodbye.